You're listening to the Inspire Excellence Podcast, recorded at the BVA headquarters with your hosts, Kevin Miller and Tommy Alquist. Each episode is focused on shedding new light on different perspectives to create dialogue that inspires excellence. And once again, it's time for the Inspire Excellence Podcast. Tommy Alquist, Kevin Miller, and um, this is going to be a tough one. This will be a tough one. <laughs> We've been trying to get these guys on for a while. I think uh, two of my personal favorites listen for years. Kevin, I know you have a, a long relationship, but Caves and Prater are here today. And can't wait to, to hear a little bit of the story behind the guys, which is what we like getting into a little bit before we talk sports with you. But but uh, I know you've been friends for a while, too. No, I, I will say this about these gentlemen. They make, you know, it's cliche to say this, but they make the the difficult, the challenging, the the uh, communicating uh, that is very difficult to do over the air seems so easy. And their chemistry is something that is, uh, you know, has people listening again and again, not only here in the Treasure Valley, but throughout the area. And here in the Treasure Valley, you'd have to say, with our friend Paul Jay retiring, they are the institution now. That's right. They are Actually, the institution. was deemed an institution. <laughs> I thought it was icon, not institution. <laughs> what was the debate? Did we see? It settled on, which one did it settle on? I think it was icon, but. Uh, okay, so you stand corrected. The local icon. Icon. I work with. Mike Brown. I feel like I'm number four in this room, but that's a whole other debate. So. <laughs> well, hey, I'm going to start with some. Yeah. Listen to you for a long time uh, in preparation for this. knew knew a little bit about it. Uh, your backgrounds a little bit, but would love our listeners to just get to know you guys a little bit more. Can you tell us a little bit about each of you? And and you know, we do this podcast because there are a lot of great stories to tell in the valley, and there's a lot of amazing. One of the things on the campaign as crazy as that was for me, is meeting really great people in Idaho and with stories to tell that inspire other people. So tell us a little bit what about your upbringing and what's made you so successful and then a little bit about your relationship because it's a, it's, a, it's more than a marriage here, man. This is like... <laughs> well, we'd prefer a divorce typically. If I had a, I have a prenup, I threatened to kill Prater yesterday. Only after I threw a computer at him. Well, that was years ago. But that's not really an act. We we are not necessary. When you spend 15 hours a week with somebody, you know, a lot of guys that work together, you know, there's there's so many hours in the day. Go ahead and think through your own personal life. How many people do you spend 15 hours a week with? And we spend, now we spend, I don't know, greater. 20, At 30, least 20, or 30, 20 or 30. And I never wanted that. You know, I never, <laughs> I never said, Hey, Prater, why don't we work together more? <laughs> did, did I ever say that? No, but uh, I was desperate enough one day to ask. And yeah. that's kind of how it started. So, <laughs> and, and I think that's the nature of the relationship is the equity and the leverage that I think that I recognized in first, you know, working with Prater. And I think you as a developer would understand you can have the greatest concept in the world, but if you don't have a location, what's the use? Yeah. And if you have a great location and you don't know what you're doing, yeah. then what good is that? You're wasting a great location for a business. And Prater was the voice of disruption for the Treasure Valley uh, back in when he started, which would have been early 90s? 1990. Yeah. And so for me, it was a natural to say, how do we get Prater to, to how do we get the Idaho statesman to loan Prater to us? <laughs> that was the deal, really. So I, Jeff, tell us a little. So you're California, came to Boise State, played yes, football. Tell yes. us a little bit about that and 
and and your beginnings and then and then Mike a little bit about you to get to that point where you came together. Okay, sure. Tell us yeah. a little bit of the story. Well, you know, I was uh, born and raised in Los Angeles in different parts of it. I was raised by my grandmother and my aunt and my father. My father divorced my mother when I was like two. Um, I'm a medio Mexicano. My real last name is Cueva. Um, I do not take offense to the racism that sometimes other on-air people will allude to. I usually have fun with it. Um, I love LA, I don't hate it. You know, a lot of my family's all still there. I was inspired to get involved in any communication business and it ultimately became radio through my exposure as a young kid listening to the radio in Los Angeles because they had sports talk radio, they had talk radio, they, they had a lot of different opportunities. And so I was influenced by listening to Jim Healy, uh, Tommy Hawkins, um, Bud you better say Vin Scully. Huh? Well, but, you know, so, you know, Vin Scully was a play-by-play guy doing radio yeah. talk shows. I listened to Vin yeah. Scully, but he wasn't a talk show. Were guy. you a big sports guy? Were you? I love sports. Yes. And I loved LA sports and they had sports talk radio in afternoon yeah. drive in the late sixties and seventies. And so that's what I listened to. And, and then I came to Boise State on a football scholarship. Wait, wait, wait. So you don't just come from L.A. to Idaho yeah. back then. How, how, do you, how do you end up at, at Boise and what was that like? And Because then I think you won the champ. You won the, did you win the championship when you were well, there? Well, I was on a team that won a championship, but I came up here to play football. <laughs> okay. I came up here to play football. Jim Kreiner recruited me with a lot of other kids in the 70s that came from Southern California. Got a scholarship, and that was how I found Boise, Idaho. I, I you know, on my own, I, I would have never known it was here. Yeah. So once you, you know, once I went to school, I had an opportunity when I was done to uh, get involved in Canadian football. I got cut. And so I came back and decided I'd always loved advertising, and I thought I'd be okay at sales. So I sold advertising. That's great. And I really did that before I ever, and I still do that. But before I was on the air, you know, and and then from there, I just started doing radio. And I actually worked at uh, KIDO. My first gig was at when it was still at 630. So that's where I started. And and so 35 years later, I guess I don't know when to stop. You're still doing it, man. I'm open for other ideas. <laughs> plan know? B. Yeah, plan B. I'm open for <laughs> My hours are getting very expensive, so <laughs> I'm open to anything. Mike, tell us about you. Well, unlike Kay's, uh, you know, I am an Idahoan. I didn't have to migrate here from California. So born and raised in Twin Falls. Uh, but dad was in the broadcasting TV sports journalism business. He spent uh, 30 years uh, as a play-by-play -play announcer for College of Southern Idaho basketball. Did some high school work, uh, local television director as well. And also, I didn't know that. So yeah. remember Joey Johnson? Oh, yeah. CSI. Big when I played player. at Rick's, we played against him. Unbelievable. It was, De it was Dennis Johnson's little brother. Yeah. But could jump out of the gym. Yep. Literally watched him take a quarter and set it on the top of the, of the, of the backboard. Unbelievable. But anyway. I can, I can take you even farther back than that. Remember Byron in the woods? Yeah. <laughs> I remember that kid as a, at a Rick's. Oh, my goodness. That was one of my first uh, non-CSI idols. But I grew up idolizing CSI basketball. Won a couple of national championships. Uh, you know, would cry when my dad would call a loss on the radio. I would cry at home in my little bedroom and uh, walked into a uh, high school journalism class. And uh, at 16 years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So after our football team, my sophomore year, I played football. 
Uh, we lost every single game and my coach quit. So I said, uh, I went to the local newspaper and asked Larry Hovey if I could empty his garbage cans. And 30, 40 years later, I'm stuck with caves. Stuck with caves. <laughs> you can leave anytime you want, man. <laughs> I, I, left, uh, I left Idaho for a little while. I went to the University of Utah. Yes. Go Utes. Yeah. Um, did a college internship in uh, Washington, D.C. for the National Science Foundation. Uh, ended up in the Bay Area working at a newspaper for three years. And uh, unfortunately, uh, there was a, um, a death in the sports department at the Idaho Statesman in 1989. And my mother called and said, uh, the Statesman might have an opening. Oh, my gosh. Ron Hurley? Is that how that uh, happened? Yeah. Wow. And so I applied for a job, and here I am. Oh, that's great. Was Poor still there? No, he was sick at that time. He was in the hospital sick at that time. They were shorthanded. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Ron Hurley was a great editor, too. You know, I, I just have the, the basic questions. How do you guys come up with what you talk about? Again, people think it's easy to talk sports. One thing that I love about your show is not only do you talk about sports, the hits, but it's the in-depth coverage of the business of sports. And I know that's a passion for both of you. And you go back and forth on that. The Mountain West deal, Boise State going here, all sorts of things. So how does that evolve? Do you guys just go at it for a half an hour before you get on the air? Or is it obviously JP and, and others? How do you guys figure out the topics? Well, that Prater, he, Prater's been into slugging in now two years how the topics come up yeah i mean you know the, the better podcast not that this is anything wrong with this setup but the better podcast might be our production meetings in the morning so <laughs> it gets uh, it gets a little nasty i used to when i was working at the statesman where i spent 28 years as a, as a beat reporter columnist and sports editor um and left there in the spring of 2017 um i would i would leave the statesman at 210 or 250 10 minutes before showtime try to hit as many red lights as i possibly could not get a speeding ticket race to the show, jump into the studio just as we were going on the year. And that was our planning session. Maybe an email. Now we, uh, now we, uh, you know, we have a full on production meeting. We meet every morning at 10 o'clock and uh, bang, uh, bang out uh, 30, 45 minutes worth of ideas. Always plan one or two days ahead. Uh, it's not a lot unlike, uh, you know, newspaper meetings, the meetings you guys probably have. Uh, just kind of uh, getting your day going and uh, coming up with things. And back to your original question, he's the business guy. I'm a hard news guy and it really comes together and works really well because we kind of like that. We'd like to have fun and be immature and stupid with sports, but the business side of him and the hard news side of me, I think lends the balance to what we do. And back to the business of sports, why do you guys cover that? Because you know, you watch something and they'll, they'll say, well, this player's going here, this player's going there, but you guys go in depth on the amount of money for a bowl payout, going to this conference, and you just not only focus on the Mountain West, but you're focusing primarily on the business of college sports, maybe with a little NFL stuff thrown in, but the, the business side of that, um, why do you guys focus on that? Um, probably because I like it. I, I believe in following the money. Guys like Tommy, you know, you, you got to follow the money and you'll get an answer. So in college sports, it's no different than medicine or whatever other industry, right? Follow the money. And in sports, that's what interests me as much sometimes as, what goes on those fields. Um, so that's probably why we're into it a little bit more. I think Prater has a natural curiosity because for years he read any and every story that was ever in like an old school newspaper. So let's think about it. He screened every story. You couldn't be more well-read. And the business stories, I'm sure some he published, others he kicked over to the business section of a paper. 
I always gravitated to business. I, I've always found that more interesting because I follow the money. And the listeners? That's debatable. I think that you have to take a calculated risk on some levels. I've always thought that if I could entertain and inform Tommy Alquist, that there's another person that aspires to be him that will find it as or more interesting, no offense, than what you could come up with on sports. <laughs> and there's a lot of people that read sports and think, oh, that's interesting, I'll talk about that. Not really. Why is that interesting? I just read it. <laughs> so that's one of my big points is what do you bring new and different to the table? <laughs> What's your value? Because anybody can read or get a text or get on their phone or whatever. And I think that's the hardest thing to do 12 times, uh, you know, we do, we try to have what, three stories? Yeah. About three now. Yeah, 12 segments a day. So we repeat, you know, because not everybody listens like to Kevin's show. He has people there for four hours. <laughs> Tea Party Bob, yeah. Liberty Linda. Yeah. yeah. He, my mom. He's got a loyal his mom. Yeah, my mom. Yeah. We got to recycle, guys. So. Well, I, I think you've just kind of, I mean, that's, that's why it makes it so intriguing to listen, right? I mean, I just think you just, you just, that's why we, we love the show. Can I ask one of one of the things I wanted to ask you uh, to to maybe expound on for us a little bit is it's been incredible for me as a business guy to sit back during a deep recession that was ugly. I mean, it's interesting how how we forget just how bad that was. Mm. Um, and, and during this time, you've got this what we have here is is our team, which is Boise State. Not much else going on in the valley here. You know, you've had probably have some stories you can tell us about the stampede leaving and maybe some of that, but but what a story. I mean, how much of that explosive growth and, and the way they've attacked the business of college football, you guys have been right in the middle of that. And, and tell us a little bit about that perspective of just having Boise State football do what it did when the rest of the world was in the fetal position. You, know, you have that Oklahoma game and you have, you know, it, I attribute people say, what's, what's been the success to Boise, the Treasure Valley? I think it was I think it was a lot of really good decisions, business decisions by really smart people at Boise State at a time when when not much was going right that has kind of led the way for us. And I'd love to hear your take on that. <laughs> well, I mean, it goes back, you know, I I I I started following Boise State in 1994. And the first year I was on the on the beat, they they went to the national championship game. And I'd like to take credit for that. But you know, <laughs> technically it all goes back to, you know, even before then when Caves was there in the late 1970s and They've always had strong leadership, strong community support, probably because of what you just said. They're really the only big fish in town. They even were in the 1970s. I don't care wooden bleachers or not. They were, they were still the big fish in town and competing for national championships. It started in the 50s when Lyle Smith was competing for national championships. So strong leadership in a strong, vibrant community to me um, was kind of the combination that really made it work. Um, and I noticed that in, 90, in 1994. But it really took off successfully in 1994 when they went to that national championship game. But, you know, in the 50s, in the 80s, in the 90s, and then in the mid-2000s, it seems like every 10 years, every 15 years, they go off and have this magical moment that just sucks the community back in and makes it more relevant. And once you get the community engaged, that's where the business start comes in. You know, people start supporting it and people start building it and it becomes one big giant corporation and a family at the same time. Boy. Corporation and family. Who's got that idea? Yeah. Tommy's never heard of that. 
Uh, let me, can I follow up on that? Cause I was yeah, just saying yeah. a lot of people try to do this though. I mean, this is not, I mean, yeah. every community around this country, they're trying to find the secret sauce to go to multiple, you know, uh, bowl games. Yeah. There, there's something, something a little different that happened here because you look even in the mountain West or looking in the Northwest at programs that have tried good communities, Good, but, but there's something that happened here that to me uh, is pretty dang special. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I hope that, hope we appreciate it. it. It kind of frustrates me right now, guys. I mean, I got season tickets to everything. I go basketball games and I go and I look at the stands. I look at the student section and it frankly makes me really angry. I'm like, you know, do we appreciate how much that, that university sports meant to the Valley? And why, why don't we support them more? What else is going on? What else are those college kids doing uh, on a Friday night, why aren't they at the game? Did you ever think that, or is that just me? That's an industry issue. So that's uh, affecting SEC schools everywhere. So that's kind of, to me, a much broader issue. You but, think? Oh, I went to Utah State this year to a couple games. Yeah. They don't have that issue. Student section, I go down on the MUS. They don't have that issue. I, I, maybe it is in some other places, but, but I, I've never really seen a student section uh, to speak of here that stays for the whole game or that's, that's it, for the level of success they've had. Um, Caves is an alum, so he, he's got to be a, a little bit careful, but we've debated this for a long, long time. It drives me crazy. I, I frankly, I hate it. Um, you know, I've, I'm tired of ripping on the student section at, at Boise State football games. Um, I've asked for years, why do they, why do you give them 5,000 seats when they're only filling up four and by halftime it's 2000 because on a Friday night they're off doing whatever it is they're doing. But, uh, uh, you know, I know when I was in college, um, I went to every single game I possibly could and you stayed to the very, very end. And that's just, you know, that's just, we're getting a little bit off track of your question though, but what, what makes this town, the, the pros and cons of Boise State and the relationship with this community is, is fascinating to me because we do have a strong connection and a strong fascination with Boise State. But at the same time, there are so many other, it's almost like the LA phenomenon. There's so many other things to do here and we're so well grounded. We're not great sports fans here. I really wish we were better sports fans. Boise is not a sports town and I get beat up on that all the time. And trust me, I wish it was. I really wish it was, but it's an event town. I don't care if it's the old Boise River Festival or a big giant Boise State football game. We're an event town with a lot of different interests and that fragments the interest. And I think that really hurts Boise State at times. If they're in a Fiesta Bowl type of season with a superstar national quarterback getting attention, they'll show up and support it. When it's average, vanilla, regular football, maybe not so much. They'll go do something else because they have that opportunity in this town. It's frustrating, but at the same time, that's why we live here. You believe that case? Uh, some of what he said, not all of it. Um, I look back at when I came here, there was a tremendous Fortune 500 base here. So the, 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 the Knutsons, Morrisons, uh, Cascade, uh, HP, Albertsons, this guy's figured it out. And they thought that they had something to build here. Micron, you know, got ahead of the curve with the semiconductor industry in the early 80s. And that, to me, laid down the base. And then you have government, right? So there was always government employees and the white collar sector that helped and you put Boise state next to it and they are still top five employer. Right. Yeah. 
And so they're pumping money into the economy. So people pay attention when that's happening. Um, I think that there are, uh, I've always been a group of people that have high expectations. And when they built Bronco Stadium, it was way ahead of what they needed. You know, they were at wooden bleachers. They didn't necessarily need that many seats, but they did it. The people in the community in the late 60s, and they put the cart before the horse. The pavilion was built on the backs of a lot of people like Grant Peterson's father, you know, lifelong that you see those lifetime memberships. Those people put the money up to build that pavilion. And it was, you know, it's old now, but then it was like, wow, where are you going to get the money to do that? And they did it. So they've always been a somebody that was willing to build it and see that it came, in my opinion, way before I got here. Because when I arrived, those companies existed in Boise, Idaho. It was one of the reasons I came here. Mm. That's a hell of a Fortune 500 base that for is. 1979 at a business school at Boise State that it was accredited the year before I got here. Mm. They weren't even accredited in 78. Mm. You know, we could go on and on about Boise State, but back to you two. Um, <laughs> you guys have, for most people listening, you have the dream job. It's easy. You just talk for three hours. You don't have to work. You get to talk to Coach Harson, Coach Pete in the day, Coach Hawk, which you guys have a great relationship with. So could you take us behind the scenes of covering the highest profile person that we have in the state? And when I won't say which one of you speculates on what coach is going where and, hey, here's Colorado with somebody. I'm not saying it, but <laughs> possibly. Could you take us behind the, the, the method if you could? as far as covering these coaches because you want access, but also you have to be tough. How does that work? Not too well. I, I don't know. <laughs> when they win as much as they do and have when they're averaging 10 wins a season, you could ask some tough questions. And then you, what are your expectations? To me, it always comes down to that. What, what are your expectations? And Tommy's expressed frustration that more people don't appreciate People don't spend their entertainment money to appreciate anything, in my opinion. They do it out of personal gratification so or escape. And so those are things that the intercollegiate model is learning how to fit in with, but I think it's going to be hard for them to transition. But in covering the coaches, yeah, there's probably times where Freighter's asked as tough or tough questions than anybody over the years, for sure. Uh, as a columnist, you know, he gets into different areas. He's right. You know, I'm more of a homer and um, sometimes don't go into those areas. And, I, and I'm sure as a journalist, I, Prater would never hire me. You know, it's like you're just you're here as a parrot. What, what good are you? So there's some truth to that. Yeah, but you're very shrewd in how you position something where we're talking about, let's say, if Coach Harson is going somewhere where you leave the benefit of the doubt and you let the, the callers decide. I'm not trying to as a listener. This is what I get from you guys. And that's that that takes some knowledge to do that. It's you're, you're doing it deliberately. Um, and, and I'm sure you both have gotten phone calls, maybe from an AD, maybe from a coach that they weren't happy with their, their appearance. What, what was that like? Well, in my world, that's kind of a regular appearance, a regular occurrence. And so. you come back for it again and again. Yeah. The, the, the thing is, you know, the, the tough part there is, I mean, you have to be smart. You have to know what you, you, you're getting into. You have to be prepared. If you're going to go talk to somebody and grill them about an issue, you just have to be really smart and prepared about how you want to approach that. Um, and you can't always be the hatchet guy. You have to, 
you have to find some balance, especially in this community. This is a feel-good community that wants feel-good news. Uh, but they also expect, you know, hard news at times. They, they also want to know when the right news is. And, um, you know, if, if we're going to tell that Brian Harson's won 50 games and had this great record, we're also going to jump on him when there's a possibility that uh, um, he's going somewhere else or he screwed up a game. I think for the most part, this is a soft media market when it comes to sports. Um, and I think the coaches, the high-profile coaches at Boise State get it and they understand it. And every now and then when a, when a tough question comes up, they're okay with that as long as you're prepared, as long as you're smart. And individually, you have to have thick skin. Tommy probably knows about that. You guys know about that. I mean, Kevin, you know about that. It's just you got to take your lumps and just keep going at it. you got to be consistent. you got to stick with what you are and who you are. And I think over time that works. You know, I've been here for 25 years and I've asked a lot of hard questions, but they still answer my questions. So something's got to be going on. Sure. What, what, uh, in, in the, the business of sports, because I think you, you, just listening to you now, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is about entertainment, right? And it's changing with, with technology that's changing. I mean, you just down at the NCAA tournament down in Salt Lake City a couple of weeks ago. The difference between that arena and the experience there versus Taco Bell for a first round, it's, I mean, there's, you have 25 different food options and there's a giant big screen in every direction you look and the Wi-Fi works perfectly. Wow. And, you know, it's just, and, and I sat there and looked at, looked at my buddies I was with, you know, you know, Ryan, I said, how do we compete with this? You know, I mean, this is. This, this, this experience today, because we took all our guys down and watched, you know, first round down there, is so different. I, I love Taco Bell. I love my, my community, but how on earth do we compete? You know, and, and you go away to some of these football games now. And even, even go down to the University of Utah to those games and the experience that's in that stadium and the proximity of fans to the field and the big screen they put in down there yeah. uh, recently. and. And when we had Brad LaRonda on a couple of weeks ago, it's got to be tough to look at the dollars that are both available that are also being spent to keep up with technology and expectations in an immediate gratification world we're in. Where do you see sports here locally going and competing? Maybe we don't ever, maybe we can't ever compete with some of these bigger markets, but yeah. what's going right? What's going wrong? What would you guys like to see? Well, that's a big question, and it takes just the Wi-Fi is over a million dollar piece. Yeah, and I, I just in looking at their budget and listening to them, that doesn't even sound like anything they're interested in getting involved in, because oftentimes if it doesn't have a revenue component to it, uh, the building of something is not necessarily as attractive if it doesn't have a revenue component to it because you can build a lot of static things on a campus and Dr. Custer did a lot of that on his way out and they're bonded out, they're kind of loaded up. So the next project that comes on the books is gonna have to have a revenue model. That's where sports usually comes in. And hey, that, I, I listen, I, I worry about that. You got Kevin Satterley, who was a smart dude, who's now over at ISU. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, it, from my perspective, what's going on in the state right now, you got U of I with president leaving and just kind of a whatever. You've got Custer when he was here did a lot, but that bonding issue, getting around a state board that doesn't fund higher ed the way we should or could, or even, I mean, they don't even think about things with no. pro formas. I mean, it's just, I don't know how that works yet. In the middle of that, you had <laughs> Stacy, right? You had right. Kevin Satterley and you had Custer figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Well, Kevin's at ISU now. 
you got someone coming in that doesn't understand what's going on. And I think there's a, a big concern on my part of, hey, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to fund things. It's going to, we're going to go into a different era uh, that, 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 that's going to happen. And, and my prediction is just watch what happens over at ISU. I know that they're starting. I was over there with Kevin a couple of weeks ago. I mean, they're starting from a tough place, but that guy's smart. And he knows how to, he knows how to navigate the state system. And he's inspiring and people follow people. And I look for ISU to make a little resurgence in the state, both academically, and we'll see what happens with sports. But uh, a lot of those dynamics, the average person may not see going on, but just getting funding for projects through our state board, I mean, that, 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 that's, that's advanced calculus. And some of, the, <laughs> some of these guys they're bringing in are, they don't even understand the basic math of funding in the state. So, What funding? Yeah. There is no funding. And that's one of the challenges. I think we posed the question if I were to ask you, President Alquist, of the three methods that are available to us to increase the budgets for Boise State, which would you be more apt to do? Would you chase one single uh, donor like Pickens or Knight? Would you hire more foot soldiers who don't have an emotional commitment to the community or the product or service to go out and engage people at a lower denomination times 100? Or would you try to work with the State Board of Education and work on the student fee piece, which would you choose? And that's that. So my question for you, President Alquist, because if you're going to be my president, yeah. I want to know your new business no, yeah. number. I'm not interested yeah. in your doctorate. So what would it be? So for for me, it would be all three. Because here's the here's the key to what you just asked. Okay, we have a problem in the state, and the easiest thing to fix in this state would be higher education. If you just started funding higher ed with a formula that rewarded results. I know that sounds good to you and I, right? but it, it doesn't make any sense to people on that hill down there. Okay. We need to be able to fund these universities based on results. And if you just did that and started getting some dollars flowing to where the results are happening, you would increase funding to where it should go. But that, that's not even a concept that, so, so I don't think you give up on that because that fundamental idea of, hey, let's fund our public education at a higher, a higher education level based on results. We can't give up on that. But the secondly, you're going to have to go after donors. And, you know, over time, what, one of the things that drives me, if you ever just go Google, go on Wikipedia and look at endowment funds of Pac-12 schools, it will blow your mind. Stanford and everybody else. Yeah. It really is no, and USC. Yeah, you look at Stanford, USC, and then start going <clears throat> even to the University of Washington, and then, and then get to a place like University of Utah trying to compete. Now, Google the endowment fund at, the, at, at Boise State University. I mean... That's what I'm saying. It's a miracle, the success we've had. Despite all these challenges, you had some leadership there that figured it out. And uh, I, going into this next, next phase of, of leadership is going to be very interesting. I, I worry about the brain drain. I worry about losing Saturday. I worry about losing Custra. Um, you know, I worry about, you know, Kurt Apsey just, you know, swimming 24 hours a day, dog paddling, just trying to stay ahead as opposed to... Uh, or, you know, just trying to stay status quo as opposed to trying to get ahead. He's trying to find, you know, $10 million to fund a baseball team when they can't even figure out where to put the dirt right now. Um, and that's not his problem. That's just the reality of, of the lack of leadership that what's going on over there. I, I want to ask you a question and going back to what you were saying, you know, funding more higher education, should some of that money be going to athletics? Should official state money be going to athletics to help build you know, help build Boise State, help build bigger buildings. I went to a jazz game last week like you did. So I was in that same building and Caves and I did a whole segment on just the concourses, the concourse at the new 
Jazz building where they just dropped $225 million to renovate it is 30 wide, 30 yards wide. Yeah. I could fit through there. <laughs> At Taco Bell Arena, it might be 12 feet wide as opposed to 30 yards wide. So I worry about the infrastructure because it's not going to get any better with the brain drain that we've lost there and just dog paddling to try to keep up. They need some financial help somewhere. Should it come from official state money? Well, if it doesn't, I mean, to your, you just came up with the three sources of revenue, right? If you don't figure that out and you, one thing we know is constant is change and technology. Another thing that's happened, I think it's caught most, most business models flat footed. If you look historically at any innovation in the United States of America, pick the innovation. It takes a long time for those innovations to really change a society and an economy. Mm-hmm. Not this. This technology revolution we just experienced over the last decade. Well, think about the iPhone. First one came out what, almost 11 years ago now. Think about what's changed in the way we do business, whatever the business is. Radio, development, college athletics. It's just different now. And so you've got everyone scrambling to say, how do we, how do we keep up with this? How do we fund it? How do we completely change paradigms that have been in place for, 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 uh, for decades to try to keep up? But whoever does will win and whoever doesn't will be left behind. And so I think it's all three of those sources but, but money's got to be the solution because otherwise you're not going to keep up. You no, can't. No. And I, you know, when the, the question that we get asked probably more than anything, or at least I do, why isn't Boise State in the Pac-12? They just beat Oregon State for crying out loud. <laughs> I always point back to the money and yeah. the endowments and just say, look at the difference there. And really, seriously, it's like me and Caves living in the same neighborhood. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Um, let's talk about something you both love. You both make a great living at it. Sports radio. You know, uh, we all have some miles on the odometer. The, the future of our industry. Uh, you guys fight every day for this. You got every kid out there wanting to be the next Caves and Prater. Where do you see uh, us going? You know, I, and you guys sp- talk about this on the air quite a bit. The digital revolution, the podcast this, the blog that. We all know all about that. So where do you guys see yourselves as the the keeper of the flame of broadcast here in the Treasure Valley. We're the what? The keeper of the flame. We're the, the only wa- ones with the flame. The right watchers now. of the wall. <laughs> Game of Thrones reference. Sorry. I like that, man. I'm going to make him my agent. <laughs> you should. I'm, we're the keeper of the flame and I, icons and what was the other one? The, the watchers of the wall. The watchers, the watchers of the wall. Of the wall right? Yeah. But, you know, again, we grew up with radio. It was our best friend. It still is. Today, we have to compete. You guys have to compete. I have to compete. Uh, one day, Tommy will have to compete with, uh, you know, all these other, with podcasts. So how do you remain relevant? I think we're relevant. I just think that the distribution model's changing. So there still has to be a product on the shelf. We're not soiling green, right? We still eat. If Amazon wants to drop it off from a helicopter or knock on my door and put it into a, a new cubby hole that you people are going to start building in these new subdivisions that's so be it but somebody's still going to grow the potato so i believe great content will win i just think that there's great marketers that will figure out how do we take caves and praters content because it's not easy to find guys that have uh, original opinions original thoughts that can advance a story that are storytellers that are well versed that have a history in a certain area or area of expertise and communicate it clearly, succinctly, repeatedly, repetitively. 
That's not easy. So I don't think they grow on trees. Authenticity can't be faked, right? No. Well, hopefully the not, question but. is how you, how you distribute that, right? Yeah. That, that's the, but that's, I mean, it, what, pick the business. It's, is, is it authentic? Does it, is it there for the right reasons? And is it resonating in the hearts and minds of the people? But the distribution model, it's that's, different. that's a whole different it's, deal. He's right though. It's, it's everywhere, man. I mean, and, and I know the ratings and, and all that are a challenge because it's flatlined every industry that's measured like radio, TV, whatever. Right. Um, let's talk about something that you guys cover all the time. The newspaper business going through a lot of changes. Yeah. You guys, um, again, it's easier said than done. You talk about personal issues and your people all the time. Um, you love the newspaper business. You went through a change. You helped him through it. I know Tommy was listening. I was listening. Can you take us through that? Ooh, boy, that's a, that's a big one. Because um, I mean, when most people do something, they go, well, I don't want to talk about it. You can't. Yeah. You're caves and prater. Yeah, the newspaper business is, is scary. Um, and um, it's not dying. I'll, I'll tell you that. Everybody always comes up to me and says the newspaper industry is dying. It's not dying. It's evolving. Um, it's not showing up on your doorstep like it used to be. But uh, the information is still out there. Um, you know, I've had the kind of the, the unique perspective of working at the Idaho Statesman for, for 28 years and now for the last 100 days working at the Idaho Press as, a, as their new sports columnist. Um, and I see the dynamics just in this market alone of, of, of the battle. Um, this is a vibrant market and newspapers can exist locally in vibrant markets, just like I think local radio can still exist. I mean, terrestrial radio versus satellite radio is, is a, one of Caves' favorite debates, but you know, in a local market that's vibrant like the Treasure Valley, newspapers can't exist. Local radio can't exist. Um, I was very upset and very disappointed with uh, the Idaho Statesman and their corporate partners and the direction they decided to take the newspaper. I, I really think that they gave up on this community. I, and it, it hurts me to say that because for 28 years, the Idaho Statesman, and even before that, I mean, I, growing up in Twin Falls, I idolized Scott Peron and Ron Hurley and Jim Poor and Ray Giffen and those guys, those are my mentors and my idols. And, you know, my high school yearbook says in 10 years, Mike Prater will be the sports editor at the Idaho Statesman because that was my dream even then. So for me to sit here and see something that was so important to me, just crumble and die because of poor corporate leadership and poor corporate vision drove me crazy. On the other side, I mean, this is an inspiring podcast, what the Idaho Press is doing in terms of sinking money. How many newspapers in the United States whether it's right or wrong, that's for them to decide or the future to decide, are sinking massive amounts of resources and money into a local newspaper. And it's working over there right now. We'll find out in three to five years whether it's sustainable or not, but it's working. So I think the newspaper industry is, is still, it's still important. Uh, the, 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 you know, the watchdog environment, the watchdog element of going out and making sure that whether it's over here in uh, Boise's Capitol Hill or in Washington DC's Capitol Hill, there needs to be that watchdog element. It's not so important in sports. People don't rush to their newspapers in the morning to find out what happened in the game the night before. Maybe they read it on their phone the night before. So it's evolving and changing, but there's still a need for information and there's still a need for a set of eyes to watch the world. It really truly is. I think it's one of the most fascinating things going on in our community right now is this shift and what Idaho Press is doing. You know, you get with Scott McIntosh and, you know, you have Betsy Russell, you, Tim authentic community. I mean, pillars of the community being shifted over to right. 
shifted over to a, to a competitor that, that had no chance, right? No. And now what do I have delivered to my house, right? Where, where, where am I getting my new? And that happened relatively quickly with some strategy. I would have loved to have been in those rooms yep. on both ends. Yep. What's going on over here with these guys saying, hey, let's go kick some butt. And over here, are they asleep at the wheel? Is it just a, a bureaucratic national company that was going to lose a market? And how do you lose? I mean, I know, I know you're struggling, but you just give up on a market. Yes. And and when that starts going, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. And I know that they've got struggles, but I think when you sit down and talk to them about strategy and in a world of changing mediums, how are you doing it? Pretty inspiring to listen to the story and watch what they're doing with talent. I get back with you though. Uh, who's connecting with the community? Who's authentic? Who's genuine? Who are people going to follow? Where are those ideas coming from? Who's who's watching the legislature? Who's watching what's going on with the stadium or the, you know, whatever's going on. And that's where you're going to go listen because I'm, I'm not, it doesn't matter whether I'm here or there. I'm, I'm listening to you, right? Oh, Prater's over there now. Or reading I'm, it. Yeah. That's where I'm going, right? right? Or reading it. So it's going to be interesting to watch. Finally, gentlemen, we'll get you out on this one. What inspires you? In terms of our job? No. Just what inspires you? Improvement is what drives me for sure newness, relevancy, different, uh, next level, next step, always trying to stay one step ahead. Um, somebody said, this is a good place for this building. I'm sure there were a lot of other people said that would be a waste of time. And somebody figured it out. And, and I, I like to figure it out. And so I, that probably inspires me. It's just trying to figure out what's next. For me or for whatever I'm looking at. The fear of public failure for me, which goes along the same lines as, as improvement. Um, when you have a public job, Tommy, you know that, Kevin, you know that. Um, if you have any kind of passion or any kind of commitment to what you do, and you know, you go into this business as a 16-year-old, it just doesn't leave your body. It stays mm -hmm. in your body for the till the day you die. So I wake up still every day very passionate about sports, very passionate about media, very passionate about communications. And um, I'm also fairly um, just conscious of not failing in public. I don't mind getting criticized in public. I don't mind getting beat up if my article was accurate and right, um, but maybe not pleasing to everybody. Um, just making sure that you're getting the job done right in public, you're doing the public right, you're improving every day. And, um, you know, Caves and I, way back in the day, I mean, he's skinny now and I'm still not, but we used to go on public diets together at the radio station. And, you know, from January until March, I was a beast. I was a workout warrior because these were very public campaigns. And the last thing I ever wanted to do, I don't care if it's losing weight or covering Boise State football or making sure Brian Harson's doing the right things. I don't want to do anything that fails in public. I'm, I'm trying not to take that personal as the guy that took third. <laughs> no, hey, I just want to thank you guys. You're busy. Uh, big ask to have you come on today. But I, you know, what inspires us is people that love this community, that truly love the people, the company, the, 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 what makes this thing drive. And, and you are two of those, those folks. And we look up to you. We respect the heck out of you. Wanted to have you on uh, for a while. Thanks for being here. Thanks for what you do. And, and thanks for... For, for driving excellence in, in, in all you do. And we'll keep on listening in. Thanks guys. Good Appreciate it. Thank you.
And you're listening for, well, I was going to say, see, they got me. I, there's so much for being Mr. Smooth there. Almost made it. You, you almost made it to the yeah. end. The fear of public failure. Exa- thank you, Prater. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Strive for excellence, everybody. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Inspire Excellence Podcast. We invite you to find something that inspires you this week. Join us again for our next episode.